Well, hey guys, good to see you. Feels kind of weird being up here, but uh, we back and we're excited. Uh, Pastor Danny is actually celebrating his 25th wedding anniversary with Christy today. So let's all give him a round of applause. 25 years, pretty inc- incredible. So Danny and Christy, we love you guys and congratulations. They're off having fun as they should be, but knowing him, he'll watch this at some point just to make sure I didn't screw it up or anything like that. Uh, but uh, have you ever felt like... Um, that you're just like the wrong person for the job. You ever been there? Like there was like a task or, or, or a project in which you're just like, yo, there's a lot of other people who, who are more equipped or should be, be handling this. You ever been there before? See, that's kind of how I feel about uh, today's message. As, as, we, as we dive into Beatitudes number two today, I kind of look at the text, look at the passage. There's a lot of, there's a lot of other people who are much uh, more equipped to handle this, who, who like to talk about this stuff, who, who want to dive into to some of this content. Uh, but here we are today, Let me, you know, because uh, the, the second beatitude is going to talk about what do we do with trials, with mourning, with, with, with sin that kind of runs through our life. And, and when we have this heartfeltness over, what do we do with it? You see, because I'm not naturally a feelings-oriented guy. I'm not someone who, who likes to share and, and open up and that type of stuff. Let me give you a quick story to kind of illustrate this. Uh, a while back, uh, our staff brought in a local counselor to kind of help our team understand how to deal with maybe some tension, some, some turmoil, stuff that happened in the church, stuff that happened interpersonally, all that type of stuff. How do we best guide and help our church through some of these things? And, and so the, the morning gets started, and I'm kind of just sitting there in my spot on the couch, keep looking at my watch, thinking, hey, when's lunch going to happen? I'm kind of hungry. I'm not really into all this that's going on. It's important. It's necessary. I'm not downgrading. I'm just kind of, that's where my mind's at. Because I hear that one of our elders is bringing in his famous pulled pork. And so my mind is just ready counting the, down the hours, the minutes till we get to have lunch. And so, so here he comes. He, he drops off this big vat of pulled pork. There's mac and cheese, mashed potatoes, the whole nine yards and stuff. And so we just, it's finally break for lunch. Everyone's just kind of been opening up, opening their hearts. So I'm like, okay, cool. Now we can eat. And so, so I start to eat. I probably eat like two, maybe three pounds of this stuff. It's just incredible. And then you, you know that feeling after lunch and it's warm and, and, and cozy? Like what's the one thing you want to do? Just take a nap, right? And so I'm in this spot in our couch. It's one of the old couches back in, in the field house. that You kind of sink down. It's an old couch. So it's all kind of like creating this little cocoon. And someone turned up the heat or at least it felt like it did. And so I'm in this mode. I'm like starting to, to kind of zone in and zone in. And, and our team never, will never, ever, ever let me live this down. And so uh, they decide, okay, well, we're, we're pastors. We work at a church. Let's close in just like this long time of prayer. And so everyone just starts holding hands. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if holding hands. But everyone starts praying. And uh, I kind of just start to, to zone in and out. And I kind of, and then, and then, you know, like when you're asleep, but you're awake, but you're really just asleep, like, like your mind is, is still working, but you're not moving. Or, and so, so this is happening. And the whole staff right, is praying at this point, and I'm just... And then I guess it gets louder. So we're in this like heartfelt time of prayer, and I'm sitting here falling asleep. And then Danny's closing it up, and he's like, Lord, we just thank you for this time. It's just been so great. And in Jesus' name, amen, and like snapped me out of it. I was like, amen, yeah, 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 what, what he said. Right? That's kind of me when it comes to, to stuff like today. 
When we talk about like, like feelings and mourning and hardship, what do we do with it? Where are we supposed to go? I'm just kind of like, can we just give this to someone else? You know, I, I had an illustration for this morning that I wanted to use that, that our teaching team even said, no, 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 you're not allowed to use that because you're going to hide behind it. You're going to kind of push off the point of this text. And I was like, dang it, they're on to me. They're, they're, they're catching on to what I'm trying to do here. You see, when it comes to this, I, uh, I kind of feel like this guy. I'm going to show you this video. It's like six seconds. It's really quick. We'll play it a few times. But I kind of feel like this guy. Maybe you have as well, too. Let's roll the video. Leafs are taking it on the chin. Just kidding, six, right? One. Here it comes. It's coming back again. Come back around. One more. Here we go. And we're off. All right. Right? Like, I love that video because I think it's just such a great illustration for life. When the camera's on, when people are looking, we're smiling, everything's great, I'm at the game, I'm with my girl, no problems in the world, and then all of a sudden we don't think anyone's looking and it's back to how we really feel. No, 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 I don't really want to be there. You see, we we were born, I think, sometimes with this understanding, this naive outlook of life, that if we could paint a picture of life, life is supposed to be perfect. It's supposed to have all these great memories. It's supposed to have good people, laughter, all of these good times that happen in our life. But then if you're like me, you know that month after month, year after year, decade after decade, it's not quite what it's supposed to be. That there's some blemishes that show up, some dark spots, some, some black strokes that begin to kind of paint over what we thought life was supposed to be. Because stuff happens, doesn't it? People pass away, layoffs, they're kind of a thing, arguments occur, people change over time, and over and over and over, the portrait of what was supposed to be gets met with the reality of what is in this life. Here's something that I think you probably know that isn't a surprise to you, that sometimes we have a hard time saying and admitting, and it's this. It says something is off in life, isn't it? That something just isn't quite the way we think it ought to be, the way it should be. That that darkness that kind of paints the picture of our life, we, we know it's not quite supposed to be that way. Where does it come from? How do we deal with it? So this is the difficult part for me in this message. Here's the thing that, that I want you guys to know and understand is that, that we as pastors, we're people too. We've got dark streaks and blemishes on our portrait just like everyone else. Now sometimes, can we all admit, some of that's because of our own doing, our own choices, our own mistakes, the sins that we have committed that have created some turmoil that we have to live with. I could share with you moments in which I've not been the perfect husband. I've not been the exemplary father. My anger has gotten the best of me. I could go on and on and on and on. But there's other darkness that affects our life, isn't there? I could tell you about the time in which I was nine years old. And our family moved to a new city, and a couple months later, my father was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and died a few months later. New city, no friends. The only person who who I knew who I could turn to was taken from me. I tell you about the time when I was 19 years old. I was in a freak surfing accident. You guys surf around here, right, all the time? Left me permanently blind in my right eye, in which the doctors told me after 
some surgeries immediately for 48 hours saying, no, no, you should be dead. There's no way you should have survived this. At age 23, I go through a midlife crisis. I know, weird. Age 23, midlife crisis, in which everything I had, everything I worked for, I decided, I just want to start over. I want to scrap it. I want to find a different meaning, purpose, way of life. I can tell you about that, 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 that time. Paint the picture of the night in which we had to rush my wife to the hospital over seven weeks before the birth of our son. And I watched as the paramedics loaded her up into a helicopter and flew her to a different state just in case our son was born early. Our son was born, he was healthy, he was fine. And then when he was 18 months old, I tell you about the time in which I was standing in an emergency room. He's having seizure after seizure after seizure prolonged for well over an hour. And I'm, I'm looking at the Doogie Hauser to my left like, aren't you going to do something, man? Isn't this what we pay you for? Is it, there's got to be something we can figure out here. This kid, he's, he's in pain. I don't know what to do. Isn't there something that you could do? I can tell you the story then. So then we have our, our second child, our daughter. This is going to be the one who doesn't have any problems. And sure enough, the nine-month mark hits, and she too has a similar incident. Something's off in life, isn't it? There's a darkness that plagues us, whether that's of our own doing or just the fact that we live in a broken world. It's hard for me to admit this stuff, to, to talk about it, to share it. And I don't know what strokes, what darkness plagues the portrait of your life, but I know there are some. So the question for me then becomes is, is what do we do with that tension? What do we do with that gap of, of what we think life ought to be, what life ought to look like versus the way it really is? See, the world offers us advice that... Uh, doesn't quite work. The world says, if you want to deal with that, do one thing. Find some distraction in your life. Figure out a way to distract yourself from the darkness that has occurred in your life. Whether it's your fault or someone else, blame it on someone else, reject it, ignore it, reroute it, justify it. Whatever you do, distract yourself from the pain of sin that reeks in each and every one of us. And so sometimes we ignore it, right? We just, we just try to block it out. Well, that never happened. I'm strong enough. I'm just going to stand firm. I don't know what you're talking about. Sometimes we, we try to fill the gap in the void. We find people. We chase after alcohol, drugs, sex, money, influence, fulfillment, you name it. We try to fill the gap by distracting ourselves that way. Others of us, we, we, we mask it, right? Just like that video we just saw. No, 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 everything's fine over here. Here's my 10 out of 10. But as soon as that post happens and we close the phone, we, we log off the website, we know that deep down, it's just fake. People in general, and we as Christians, we're no different. We struggle with mourning over the brokenness of life. Like we don't know what to say. Like, like, like if you came across a 10-year-old Eric sitting on the curb outside of his house on a sunny afternoon, yet inside you knew I was full of coldness and damp and dark feelings because of what just happened, what would you say? If you could offer up words to bring comfort and encouragement, what, what would you say? 
I think most of us are like, I have no idea. And trust me, <laughs> I'm, I'm right there with you. I don't know. Just what if, what if then, we get to this point in Jesus' greatest sermon and he offers such a confounding and confusing and backwards statement. Would you offer up these words to someone? Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. He said, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed, makarios, happy. Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I read this verse and I'm like, nah, dude. <laughs> this isn't how the world works. Jesus, you're on some crazy juice right now. This ain't gonna happen because this isn't how the world operates. Now, I'm not advocating we go up to people who are feeling the effects of, of sin in life and just start throwing Bible verses at them. But what I struggle with this, this verse, this passage, if there's any one verse I could cut out of Scripture, it's this one. If there's any verse that I feel like I could just rip at and, and throw it in a ball and throw it away and just never read it again, it's this one. But because I believe in Jesus, the Son of the living God, my Lord and Savior, here's what I know also to be true, is that when he speaks, it's full of life. It's full of truth. It must offer hope above all else. So this is where I think this text takes us to an understanding that when we know that something is off, it leads us to a place, and when the world says distract, Jesus wants to offer us something different. This is where I think the text takes us this morning, is that we need comfort more than we need answers. When you're asking the question of why, what happened, this isn't fair, more often than not, what we're really seeing is we need comfort. We need something that will surpass our understanding, something that will be eternal, something that will last more so than an answer as to why. Because even when we ask why, even when we're searching for the answer, what are we actually looking for? We're looking for something that's going to help us understand, which will then bring us comfort into the situation we're dealing with. Guys, let's, let's unpack this, this verse just a little bit more here this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So here's what I see in this, in this verse is, is two competing words that bring somewhat competing values. On one side, we have the word mourn, pentheo. It means that it's this sorrow-filled, this deep guilt-ridden that something is off. Something is broken. Something's not firing on all cylinders. So he says, blessed, happy are those who have a sense of belief and understanding that something isn't working. And then he says, so those people, they get comfort. Paracleo means to urge, to encourage, to guide. It's the same word, it's the same root in which Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit. So here's what I think Jesus is starting to say. He said, those of you who know something's off, you've made choices, you've experienced things, you've asked for things, you've not asked for things, everything that when you say something isn't working in life, those of you who have that inner reality, guess what? I will offer help. I will offer you myself. I will be there. But there's that gap in which we got to mend. It's that gap in which we find ourselves living in. You see, see think about it. The, the world would never say, you know who's happy? 
You know who you should envy? You know who you should celebrate? Are those who mourn? No, no, the world says those people ought to be pitied. Those people need to be helped. Those are the ones we concern ourselves. But don't you dare think about wanting what they have. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. That sorrow has a point. That sorrow has a purpose. This is upside down Jesus at its finest. So it makes me ask the question, so, so where does the mourning actually come from? There's kind of two camps here. One set of scholars believe that Jesus is referring to a, a mourning of repentance, that over our own sin, we should be mourning over the mistakes that we have made that has separated us from God. Another camp says, no, 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 Jesus is referring about the brokenness of the world. It's a mourning of bereavement, that we live in a fallen world, a fallen society in which we experience the negative effects of sin that plagues this earth today. And my answer, my recollection, I think it's both. Because the source is the same thing too. And so I think it's Jesus' way of asking each and every one of a question. Does your heart break? Do you mourn over the reality of sin in this world? Does your heart break over your own sin? Does my heart break and yearn over my own personal sin? The mistakes that we've made, the choices that have caused harm to ourselves or others, does your heart break over that sin? But at the same time, too, it's also saying, but does your heart break for the injustices that cloud our world? The systemic issues that plague our society. Does your heart break? Do you mourn? Are you filled with sorrow over that sin as well? All of sin has its root in that the kingdom of God has been broken. It has been vandalized because it is no longer the way that God intended it to be. You see, last week, Danny talked about how it all starts in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the ones who come to the table bringing nothing, and they shall receive the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus says, if you bring nothing, if you have nothing, it creates a gap and it brings you all the way to the bottom. If you have nothing to bring, if you offer nothing in the kingdom of God, what does that leave you with? Hopefully some sorrow. God, I know that things aren't the way that you intended them to be, but here's where I find myself. Lord, I need help. I need you to fix this. This indebtedness that I feel, the, the, the indebtedness of this world, the gap that we all find ourselves in, the dark streaks, the blemishes of the portrait of what we know ought to be in life, that you created and intended to be. God, why aren't you going to do something? Well, does your heart break for that? Are you filled with sorrow over the sin in life? You see, without sorrow, we will never have the courage to seek forgiveness in the kingdom of God. You see, all sin comes from the same place, the same root. And it goes back to the beginning. That God created the world in this Hebrew word, shalom. Peace, harmony, unity. It's like a perfect circle. It's not lacking anything. That God said there will be no pain, there will be no suffering, they'll only be filled with joy and worship. It's going to be amazing. And then pride came in. Adam and Eve make sin and mistakes and it ruins, it breaks shalom, it vandalizes the kingdom of God. And that gap only continues to grow and grow and grow and grow. 
And so now you and I experience the effects of sin, of that breaking of shalom. Sin is this word, it's an archery term that that means you miss the mark, that you hit everything except for the the bullseye. You're you're able to, to hit everything except for the intended target. Doesn't that kind of describe what life feels like sometimes? And so now we we deal with all types of sin in our world. There's three types of sin. There's sins of commission. What I mean by that is that sins that we commit, sins that we have done, the deception, the lies, the cheating, the things that we have done against the will of God. It reminds me of when King David abused his power, tried to have one of his soldiers killed so that he could take his wife and force her to sleep with him outside of her will. And then he writes in Psalm 51, God, I have made a mistake. Create in me a pure heart, O God. He was sorrowful over his sins of commission. You and I, our portrait of our life is plagued with that type of darkness. There's also sins of what I call sins of transmission. That that's just the way life is. Maybe someone else made a mistake and it negatively, adversely affected you. You've lost a loved one like I have. You've experienced something traumatic that you didn't ask for. But that's just the stake, the reality of the world. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that creation, the world, literally groans. It mourns. It moans over the fact that this isn't the way it ought to be. Then there's also sins of omission. Those times, those moments, those situations in which we didn't do what we should have. We should have stood up. We should have said something. We should have come to aid someone. The prophet Joel talks about this in his, in his small little Old Testament prophecy book. He said, oh, nation of Israel, you have neglected my purpose. You have lost your way. So over and over and over, we live in this reality that life isn't the way it ought to be. Sometimes that's our own mistake and our own sin, our own doing. Other times, that's just the way that we live. And yet, what do we want to do? We want to pretend that everything is okay. There's a comedian by the name of Tom Arnold. You probably know him. You recognize him. He wrote this book. Great title for a book. I feel like only a comedian can think of this. He says, it's entitled, How I Lost Five Pounds in Six Years. It's pretty good. And he talks about how, how most of the people in his business, his industry, aren't happy people. In fact, almost everyone, he says, in the entertainment business is there because they are broken people looking for affirmation. And in the introduction of his book, he says this. This is why I wrote this book. So the reason I wrote this book is because I wanted something out there so people would tell me they liked me. It's the reason behind almost everything I do. Similarly, Mariah Carey was in an interview in her late 20s, and at this moment in her career, she had amassed more number one hits than any other performing artist outside of Elvis and the Beatles. It's a pretty good list. And so the interviewer is just blown away. Look at everything you've done, everything you've accomplished, you've reached the top. And she asked this question, is there anything in life, just anything at all that you wish that you could accomplish? She says, yeah, one word, happiness. On the surface, we pretend to be surprised about this, don't we? <gasps> Mariah Carey, the, the, the infamous Tom Arnold, the one who has millions of dollars and a big house and all of this stuff to show, surely they don't think that life is dark and bleak and they're searching for something. But 
deep down, we all know that the reality of sin plagues every single one of us. And until we are real with the reality of sin, we will never get to experience the real comfort of Jesus. And to me, this is the beauty, this is the good news in the midst of a broken world that Jesus Christ and the kingdom of heaven gets to offer. Is we don't have a God who sits up on his throne in heaven and says, if you guys could only just, you know, figure it out. Can't you just kind of get your act together? You're driving me crazy. I've told you over and over and over again. No, no, no. We have a God who gets it, who understands it, who feels it, who mourns sin even more so than we do. That that gap that exists to get us from mourning to comfort. God said, I will mend that gap. I will be that one to bridge the two together. That Jesus on his, on his last night, he was with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was literally sweating blood because he knew what was about to happen. And he's, and he's praying, he's calling out to God, God, let this cup pass from me. There's gotta be a different way. Is there any other solution that we can come up with instead of me taking on the sin of the entire universe, the entire world onto my shoulders, but not my will be done, but yours? And then he's led like a sheep to the slaughter. He willingly gives his life on the cross. and his final breath, he utters the word, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, Jesus feels sorrow over the sin that he knows plagues us all. You see, Jesus mourned sin, died for sin, not to hold it over our heads, but to say, when you face that reality, I will be your comfort because I have conquered it. I have risen above. I have abolished it. And so if you mourn, if your heart breaks for the sin of this life, the sin of this world, and the sin in your own personal being, if you mourn over that, I can give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. I can give you an eternal comfort that will never fade, and I will be with you. That is my comfort. So when Jesus says words like blessed are those who mourn, what he's really saying, what I feel like we can see it as is happy are those who are sorrowful over sin, for I will be with them. That every time our heart breaks over a sin of commission, something that we do wrong, it's a chance for us to experience the comfort of the grace of Jesus all the more. Every time we feel the effects of the sin of transmission, that this is just the way that life is. I didn't ask for it. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. We experience the faithfulness, the love of God all the more. And every time we see that, 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 that injustice, that systemic problem, and it breaks our heart, God, can't we do something? God says, yes, I will be just. I am the one who is holy in my time. See, the difference between being a part of the kingdom of God and not is how we deal with mourning. The world says, ignore it, fill it, mask it, distract yourself from it. The kingdom of God says, embrace it because you have a God who is with you. You have a great high priest who understands. 
But he goes a step further. Jesus' own brother, James, in his epistles, he writes, But dear brothers and sisters, we are called to bear with one another each other's burdens. But the beauty of it all is that we know how the story ends. We know that God is one of restoration and redemption. That the morning will not last for eternity. How do we find blessing through mourning? It's that in Jesus, we know that our best days are always ahead. Our best days are always ahead. You see, we mourn life because it is that way. The dark strokes, the blemishes that affect you and I alike. But we celebrate because it won't stay that way. We celebrate. We are full of joy. We are full of peace. We are full of comfort because we know that at one point, at some moment in our life, we have a present God with us and we have a God who will restore it all back to the way it's supposed to be. Now, I'm not telling you that Jesus is trying to cause more harm. He's not trying to cause more mourning in your life. What I am trying to say is is that if you realize you are a broken person who breaks things, living in a broken world, we have a God who's saying, I'm going to be right there with you. Along the way, as you go through it, step after step, trudging through the mud, guess what? I will be your source of comfort through it all. I love how the Apostle Paul puts it. This, this, this idea that on the outside we are fading away, but on the inside we are being renewed by the grace and goodness of God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, he says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. You ever felt like that? You ever been there? There's no way it could get worse, you've probably told yourself. Yet, yet, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is unseen. Sorry, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You know, I don't share most of my story with with people all at once, because I know it's a lot. It's just like, you know, there's, there's a lot to take in. About a year ago, I was talking to a spiritual mentor of mine, and we talk a lot about um, navigating ministry and, and life and relationships and, and strategic planning, all that type of stuff. And First time ever, he guys said, Eric, just, just give me a little bit more about you. Just give me the full story of the Eric Friedman uh, biography, A to Z. Just kind of like, let me in. So I was like, all right, bro. And I was like, here it is. You know, kind of gave, gave him this whole string of, I went through this, 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 this. And he sat across the table, and he took it all in, just slowly, over and over, story after story, blemish after blemish, darkness after darkness. And he looked across the table at me and he said, Eric, people my age haven't experienced a third of what you've been through and still feel the effects of life. He said, I'm not going to waste your time by telling you that, that life isn't fair because you learned that early on. 
And then he had the audacity to ask me this question that has not stood right with me, that has rocked me to the core until this week as I was preparing this very message. He asked me the question, he said, did you waste the morning? What? What do you mean, did I, did I waste the morning? And I began to reflect and think. I've tried to distract myself a lot from the sin in my life. My personal sin, the sin of transmission that I, that I have, have felt and experienced. I've tried to ignore it. I've tried to fill it. I've tried to mask it. I've tried to show the world, you know who's really strong is this guy. You know who can really pull himself up by his bootstraps is this guy. You know who's really good at putting on a smiling face day after day, week after week? It's this guy. Did I waste the morning? There are decisions that I have made and decisions I will make that I say those are sins that I have committed. Wrongs that I have done that I am not proud of. Forgiveness is always key. Restoration is always a possibility in the kingdom of God. But there's also other sin and darkness that I have felt in my life. I didn't ask for my father to be taken from me at a young age. I didn't ask for a surfboard to hit me in the face. I didn't ask for my kids to have seizures that were seemingly out of control. But the words of Jesus are true is that I have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to find comfort in the midst of that darkness. In the midst of that pain, in the midst of that suffering, in the midst of the mistakes, we have the chance to experience the ever-present, all-greater, grace-filled love of God. The Prince of Peace whose comfort surpasses all understanding. So that's my question for you today. Have you wasted the morning of sin in your life? Because every opportunity we have to seek out Jesus is an opportunity for us to fill him even more for him to fill us, for him to mend us, for him to restore us like never before. And so as we move to our time of response this morning, we get that opportunity to remember how it is that Jesus did that. How Jesus and his great love can offer us comfort in the morning. Because if there's anything backwards, if there's anything upside down, anything countercultural that Jesus has ever said, it's God, this has got to be top of the list. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And what Jesus is saying, if your heart will break over this sin that I bled and died for on the cross, guess what? You will experience a joy, you will experience a comfort that will blow your mind and it will never fade. 
And so as we continue to worship this morning, let's remember how Jesus accomplished that. He paid the price. He paid the debt with his own body so that when we mourn sin, we may have the comfort of Christ. His final night with his disciples, Jesus was hanging out in the upper room and he held up a loaf of bread. Guys, tomorrow is about to get real. Tomorrow it's about to go down. The entire world is going to change for the better for all eternity. It's what I came to do. He held up the bread, broke it in half, and he says, this is my body that will be broken for you. Take and eat. Then he held up the cup, he held up the wine. He said, this represents my blood that will be shed for you. Take and drink. He said, do this in remembrance of me. It's because of his body, it's because of his blood that when we are filled with sorrow over our sin, when we say, I am a sinner in need of grace, only by faith through grace and the redemption and the work of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, do I get the comfort knowing that the light of Christ is what propels the darkness, that in the canvases, the portraits of life, when those blemishes and those dark strokes seemingly ruin what we believe it ought to be, we get to see that glimmer of hope. We get to feel that warmth. We get to experience that light all the more. Happy are those who are sorrowful over sin, for I will be with them. I like the sound of that. Would you stand with us as we continue to worship this morning?